Welcome back to Sustainably Influenced. I'm your host, Bianca Foley. In this season, we're discussing the relationship between the tech space and sustainability. Technology has the power to revolutionize the way we live and do things. And this has never been more important than in the current climate crisis. In recent years, the world has faced increasing challenges related to global warming, loss of biodiversity and resource depletion. However, technology has the potential to provide solutions and mitigate the impact of these problems. Advances in areas such as renewable energy, energy efficiency, sustainable transportation and smart cities can help us to transition to a more sustainable future. As businesses set ever more ambitious environmental, social and governance goals, their sustainability and technology strategies need to become more tightly aligned. Over the course of this season, I'll be diving into these strategies, speaking to disruptors and free thinkers in the industry who are using technology-based solutions to combat the climate crisis. Hello and welcome back. We have spoken about advances in the farming space here on Sustainably Influenced quite a few times. We spoke to Hilman Hoy, the VP of PFG, about how Bombix are using regenerative agriculture to make a difference a few seasons ago. And in today's episode, I kind of want to go one step further. As this is a tech season, I thought it would be really interesting to look at how technology is aiding more eco-friendly methods in farming. So let me first start off by saying that technology has got the potential to play a significant role in making agriculture more sustainable and environmentally friendly. By now, I think most of us and most of you listening are aware that the agriculture industry has significant impact on the environment. And it's essential to find ways to reduce that impact. The use of innovative technologies can help farmers make more informed decisions and improve the efficiency of their operations. The use of innovative technologies can help farmers make more informed decisions and improve the efficiency of their operations, reducing waste and minimising the use of harmful chemicals. One area where technology has a significant impact is in precision agriculture, And that refers to the use of technology to manage and optimise crop production by collecting and analysing data. So, for example, and quite excitingly, might I add, farmers can use sensors and drones. I never thought of a farmer using a drone before, but hey-ho, to gather information about soil conditions, crop growth, water usage. All of this data actually can be used to adjust inputs such as fertiliser and water to be really, really precise And this results in a reduction in the overuse of resources and the application of chemicals, reducing their impact on the environment. As I said at the top of the episode, we've spoken about agriculture quite a few times here. And in another episode, we spoke to the Grow team or the Grow Farm in Totteridge in London, all about an area called agroecology. I just wanted to kind of bring the point back up because I think it's really relevant in this space as well. So this is the application of ecological concepts and principles in farming. So agroecology promotes farming practices that mitigate climate change by reducing emissions, recycling resources 
and prioritising local supply chains. So as I said, I think it's really important to mention that because it's relevant when you're speaking about technological advances in the kind of agriculture and farming space. Another area where technology has helped to make agriculture more eco-friendly is through the use of alternative energy sources. Many farmers are turning to solar and wind power to reduce their dependence on fossil fuels. And this not only helps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but also lowers the cost of energy, which makes the farm operations more economically viable, which in today's current climate is beyond necessary. I mean, I work from home and I've already seen such a huge difference in my own bill. So I can't imagine at scale what that must mean on somewhere like a farm where they're constantly, there's all this machinery and water and energy being used. So yeah, I think it's really, really important to note that. Another promising area of innovation is the use of vertical farming techniques. And that's something that I really want to talk about and we'll be speaking about in a little bit more detail with today's guest. So vertical farming involves growing crops in a controlled environment. And that means typically indoors using hydroponic and aeroponic systems. This method of farming is not only more efficient, but it also eliminates the need for pesticides and herbicides as the closed environment reduces the risk of disease and pest infestations. Additionally, vertical farms use less water than traditional farming methods, making them a way more sustainable option. Now, we can't really talk about technological advances without mentioning robotics and automation. Now, I think this area is really exciting. So robotics and automation have also made their way into this space. And I think what it's doing really is providing farmers with new tools to improve their ops. So if when you think about it, robots can be used to perform repetitive tasks such as planting and harvesting, things like pruning, reducing the need for more manual labour which is, I think, obviously there's one argument for it where you could be removing the human aspect, but then there's also the fact that it's a way more efficient system. An automated task can also help monitor and control the growth of crops, reducing the need for frequent human intervention. This not only makes farming operations more efficient, but also helps to reduce the impact of farming on the environment by minimising the use of harmful chemicals and reducing the amount of waste produced. Technology is making a difference in the development of new, more sustainable crop varieties as well. And advances in genetics and things like biotechnology have allowed researchers to develop crops that are way more resistant to disease and pests. And that kind of reduces the need for these harmful chemicals that have been used traditionally. Additionally, new crop varieties are being developed that require less water and fertiliser, reducing the environmental impact of agriculture. Now, something that I wanted to get onto in this episode, because I think it links to today's guest, is talking about our kind of current food systems. So our current food systems create a third of all human man-made gases, which is wild. It is heavily reliant on industrial agricultural practices that rely on large amounts of chemicals and fertilisers and pesticides, as I've said before. And mechanised equipment as well, which is where the pollution side comes in. The production and transport of these inputs, as well as the transportation of food from farms to consumers, results in these really significant greenhouse gas emissions. Additionally, I think it's worth noting that the intensive animal agriculture industry is a significant contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, and with livestock production being responsible for about 14.5% of global emissions. That is a huge proportion when you think about it. 
So the reason why I wanted to speak about this today is because I'm speaking with somebody who works in this space and is working to make changes. Now, hilariously, we spoke about greenhouse gases. And when you think of agricultural greenhouse gases, you think of cows. And when you think of cows, you think of methane. And way too many times during the process of recording this podcast, did I speak about cow farts and gas and it's going to be mentioned in this episode. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. So I'm speaking with the co-founder of the Floop app, Kaylee Goodman. The Floop app is the mobile app that tracks the carbon footprint of your food. Kaylee and her co-founder Blaze grew up in Lincolnshire, surrounded by farms and food factories. Over lockdown, Kaylee noticed how a changing climate was affecting local food systems and began learning how the food we choose affects the climate too. She wanted to make it simple to choose more climate-friendly food, bring environmental data about ingredients to your own kitchen table and learn how to join the food fight against climate change every day. So let's speak to Kaylee. So Kaylee, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you about Carbon footprint, sustainability, all of it. Food is, yeah, the best. <laughs> and all of the above. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, I think it's probably good to discuss, as you said, the carbon footprint and how to reduce that. So what changes can be made in food production to reduce the carbon footprint of agriculture? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a massive subject. And when we talk about carbon footprint, I think it's really important to remember that we're not just talking about carbon dioxide, it's all of greenhouse gas emissions, because there's lots that are involved in food production and agriculture. And when it comes to measuring the carbon footprint of food, there's a technique that is called life cycle assessments, which is most commonly used. So it looks at the greenhouse gases that are produced at different stages of an ingredient. So if you take a carrot, it looks at how many greenhouse gases are produced from when it's in the field. And that might be things like fertilizer, the petrol and diesel that's used to run the tractors and the machinery on the field. And then it moves into things like the processing of that ingredient and the packaging, transporting it to the warehouses and then eventually to the shops. And then a full life cycle assessment looks at the waste as well, which is a massive contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. So there's loads of different stages. And what the research tends to show is that most of the greenhouse gas emissions come from the field part of that life cycle. So the time that the ingredient or the animal is being out in the field, that's where most of the greenhouse gas emissions come from. So this is where you can have the most impact on the carbon footprint at food production. So If we're looking at ways to reduce it, I think a great way to start is around fertilisers because they have a massive impact on the overall carbon footprint. In fact, there's actually a study in Mexico that showed some wheat that was being grown and about 83% of the total carbon footprint of the wheat comes from using fertilisers. So this is where we start to think about things like organic farming practices and stuff that's actually not that high tech. It's more traditional techniques that look at how we can use nature to balance out the ecosystems and improve the soil quality so we can get better yields and manage pests without having to use fertilizers and things like that. So that's fertilizers. (laughs) There's loads of other areas as well. So I mentioned already about tractors and the machinery that goes into the field and they obviously use a lot of fuel plowing and they're tilling over the soil. So if we look at Uh, alternative fuels like biofuels they can be a really powerful way of reducing the carbon footprint and 
are looking at, at new kind of technologies around electric vehicles and electric farming equipment and even looking at things like drones that can be used for spraying if we're going to carry on using fertilizers. So there's loads of ways that we can start to ease out the use of traditional fossil fuels for powering the equipment on the farm and bringing in some cleaner alternatives. So I think another area that people are quite, they might be quite familiar with is methane. So this is particularly around things like cows and beef production, dairy production. It's quite a hot topic. So, I mean, the obvious way to have a massive impact on reducing the carbon footprint of agriculture is to not have as many livestock. So that's a really easy way to do it. I say easy, though, but a lot of us love meat. So it's not that simple. We still want to have it. But there's been actually been some really interesting studies that have looked at how to reduce methane production. So I think it was in Sweden, there's some studies of some companies that were looking at feeding cows algae, microalgae, instead of grass, so in the pasture, because when they're digesting that, the microalgae, it doesn't produce as much methane as a byproduct of their digestion, which is the farts is where it all comes from. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really interesting one. Whether that's scalable for the global population is to be debated, but it's really interesting to see that there's these novel kind of ways that seeing how we can reduce carbon footprint with what animals are eating. I think it like makes you think about new ways of doing things, but also like what is the impact of that? Because everything has an impact, right? So if we're growing more algae, where do we get that from? So all those questions need to be just figured out and answered. But I like change. I think it's good to be exploring these new ways of doing things for sustainability in particular. So yeah, there's some of the ways that we can reduce the carbon footprint in agriculture. I'm sure there's lots of other things I haven't mentioned. And then there's a processing as well. It's great. I mean, what you've said so far, I think you've been really valuable. I want to learn a little bit more about what it is that you do and how Floop is helping people. So how is Floop helping individuals to modify their food consumption habits to reduce their carbon footprint? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I'll say what Floop is. It's a carbon footprint tracker. So the idea is kind of like my fitness pal or calorie counters that you might have used in the past. You put in the ingredients of the meals that you've eaten, and then it calculates the carbon footprint of the total carbon footprint of that meal. So it uses that life cycle assessment data that I mentioned earlier on, that where you look at the total carbon footprint of uh, ingredients. So what we've got is a database, basically, of the ingredients that you might commonly have access to. And you can add those into the meals that you're having and see the total carbon footprint. And we have a breakdown as well. So you can see which ingredients have a bigger impact in a meal and learn how to substitute them for ingredients have smaller uh, carbon impact. So, for example, if you're making a cottage pie, which is one of my all-time favourites, rather than having beef mince, you could have lentils or turkey mince, or you could even mix in half the amount of beef that you use and mix in some vegetables in there so you've got the same meal, but it's going further without as much meat. So little things like that, and you can start to see how to reduce the carbon footprint of those meals that you have in. And we have recipes in there as well. So our recipes have got tags to say if it's high emissions, low carbon, and then you can choose them and add them to a meal tracker so you can track the carbon footprint over the week. So that's how you could use Floop. <laughs> that's really fascinating. The fact, because I mean, there's so many of these recipe boxes out there. Mm. And if they were kind of partner with you on something like that it would encourage people to maybe order less meat heavy meals or less fish heavy meals or something like that I mean I've said this time and time again on this podcast but I am a meat eater but in this journey and over the past sort of four years not only have I reduced my meat consumption 
quite dramatically. I say quite dramatically. I just think to myself, it's something that if all of these amazing recipe companies would do then to partner with you or to incorporate some of the work that it is that you do into what they're doing, it would possibly maybe even encourage more people to go plant-based. Yeah, that's something that we would love to see happen. But yeah, I totally agree. There's some studies that have been showing, I've mentioned studies a lot, but I love the science. So there's studies that have shown that if you give people in a restaurant a menu and it has the carbon labels attached to it, they're more likely to choose the lower carbon option. So even if it, um, regardless of the ingredients, they're more likely to choose that. And it works with calories as well. If you look at calories, the studies show that people are more likely to choose the lower calorie option which has benefits for public health and the same for the environment. That link between sustainability and health is so closely linked. So what role does alternative energy technology play in reducing the carbon footprint of the agricultural industry? Yeah, really good question. It kind of links back to the first point that we spoke about around being in the farm and the emissions of machinery and things in the farm. So obviously there's biofuels for tractors, which we've kind of touched on already, but one area that there's like massive potential to use cleaner energies in like heated greenhouses and even in vertical farming and things like that so these massive greenhouses where we're growing products on scale so we could like tomatoes for example tomatoes to grow all year round in the UK they need to be heated because we just don't have the climate to grow them over winter and even in autumn so that heat requires so much energy and at the moment most of the farms I'm going to say most of the farms, but I don't actually know the numbers, are running on fossil fuels. They're not on clean energy. So it's just, yeah, it's quite polluting for the environment. Those greenhouse gases are going in and contributing to climate change. So if we start to see a conversion to solar energy on farms and wind turbines on farms, that reduces the carbon footprint like straight away because solar power, wind power has basically no carbon footprint. And the other thing I think is really interesting is there's, the anaerobic degradation, which is where you can use the waste from farms and animals, livestock, waste from crops that have been grown. And then they're basically put into like a slurry pot almost and they degrade and that can be used to as a source of renewable energy as well. So it's interesting to see how that could be scaled up by using the waste from farms to then power the farms for the, the heated greenhouses and things like that. I'm glad that you mentioned vertical farming, actually, because that was my next question. So I wanted to know a little (laughs) bit more about it. Could you maybe explain what vertical farming tech is and how it's being used to make agriculture more environmentally friendly? Yeah, so vertical farms are basically what it sounds like. They're farms that grow upwards instead of outwards. (laughs) So like the major difference with vertical farms, apart from being like a skyscraper, is that they don't use soil. So the plants that grow inside them tend to grow in like water-based, nutrient-rich mediums. And they use a lot of, yeah, the nutrients are put, put in there without soil. And then it needs things like lighting and heat to be added to create the right conditions for those plants to grow in there. So it's a really interesting area, in my opinion, because it, can, it has a lot of benefits from an environmental perspective in terms of you don't need as much land. So you can use old buildings in urban, like in cities and urban centers that maybe have been disused, or you can use those spaces to grow farms. You don't need to develop new land, and that could be saved for biodiversity and rewilding. So I think there's some great opportunities there. And there's also some challenges with it. 
which is that you have to bring in the resources like the lighting and the heat that you would have outside. So that means having to use electricity um, and if you're having to use electricity and if it's not through green electricity, through renewable electricity, that can have quite a high carbon footprint. So again, there was a study that I read about in the Netherlands which showed that vertical farming, if it's based on fossil fuels, has a higher carbon footprint but it has other environmental benefits. So it's kind of this like toss up of which environmental benefits do we want to prioritize? So it might not be carbon footprint, but it could benefit the land use, even water use, things like that. So I think it's a really interesting area. And if we pair it with some of those alternative energies that we've already talked about, then it's a massive opportunity to totally reduce the climate impact and the environmental impact of farming and like use space in a more creative way. I say this time and time again, but we don't think about where our food comes from. We think, oh, it's in a packet in Sainsbury's. Oh, it's in a packet in in (laughs) Tesco's or Waitrose. Wherever takes your fancy. But we don't think about the process of how the food is made. And there has to be innovation to be able to then distribute this to the masses. Because there's, what, 8 billion people on this planet now. And... I think so many of our older agricultural kind of processes are not built for the amount of people that we're producing for. So all of this innovation will hopefully streamline the process, make it better and make it less carbon heavy, or I should say make it more carbon efficient. But I find it all so really, really fascinating. It's an area that has always interested me. I think food is this amazing thing. And we talk about food in terms of these great restaurants and is it locally sourced? Is it this? Is it that? But it goes so much deeper than that. And I think that this is why this conversation was so important. There's so many of these amazing apps and different ways of doing things at home, but on a greater scale, there's robotics are coming into play. And it's an area I don't know a lot about. And I was wondering, do you know anything about like robotics and automation and what sort of role they play in making agriculture more efficient and more sustainable? Yeah, good question. And I have to say, I'm not an expert in this either. But um, I have done a little bit of research on precision agriculture, which is one of these terms that's been banded around. But basically, the idea is that we can use sensors and technology in the field to measure how much resources are needed so how much water a plant needs the nutrients that it's like missing and then be able to give the plants and the crops the nutrients that they need rather than just everything so the idea is that you can minimize the resources and not waste as much I think it's really interesting from a life cycle assessment point of view which is what I know a little bit more about and Life cycle assessments where you kind of measure the overall impact is, for me, a starting point in being able to reduce your carbon footprint. Like if you know what you're producing at the moment, you know what your starting point is to go and reduce and what you can aim for. So the robotics and the automation is a big opportunity area, I think, for life cycle assessments and being able to streamline that process. Because at the moment, doing a life cycle assessment and measuring like the inputs and the fertilizers that's needed, the waste that's produced, everything, it's really labor intensive, really time intensive to do that. And basically relies on a lot of goodwill from farmers and letting people on their farms to do it. So if we can use technology in the sensors to have that data and put it into computers that can map that data or like automatically or on scale we can then replicate that across different farming sectors and even like a small scale because obviously the impact of 
a tomato that you've grown at home versus tomatoes grown at scale in a farm, they're going to have a big impact. So if there's a way that you can start to use technology to monitor what's needed or what's the carbon impact of that is, that can be really helpful in just learning how to reduce the overall environmental impact and climate impact. I think it's a really, really big question to end on. But what role do governments <laughs> and businesses play in promoting sustainable food production and consumption practices to reduce our carbon footprint? Yeah, a massive topic and a massive challenge. Like for me, ultimately, the market is driven by capitalist principles, which the government like props up. Basically, they support that. That's how our economy works. So I always think it's quite challenging for big businesses. And I feel like a certain degree of empathy, like if they don't grow, if big businesses and agricultural businesses don't grow, they fail. So they have to keep growing in order to survive. And so when it comes to making changes for sustainable practices, I don't think they are likely to do it or be incentivized to do that unless there are government incentives and like rewards or basically a stick regulations that make it more difficult so in short I think the government has a massive role to play in the overall decarbonization of the agricultural industry and consumer behavior and I think that where you do see businesses starting to make a shift they tend to be smaller enterprises they tend to be people who are like have a personal value around sustainability and the environment and they're people who are likely to put those values over profits and they're likely to maybe work with suppliers who they're willing to pay more than fair trade, for example, so that they can survive. So, yeah, in terms of big businesses and governments, I think the government has a big role for reducing carbon footprint through incentives and through regulation. And I think a major area of that is through carbon labelling, which obviously we have carbon labelling in the app. But I would love to see that scaled up and almost like a calorie label on products, see that as something that we have on products in supermarkets, in restaurants, because there's countless studies that have shown the benefit to public health from having calorie labels on products in the supermarkets and in restaurants. And I think there's a responsibility for the government to have a similar outcomes for environmental health through carbon labels. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, that it's been shown that people are more likely to choose lower carbon foods if they can see that it's lower carbon on a menu. And so really, like, this is what kind of why we started Fluke. We wanted to make it easy for people to be able to see the carbon impact of the foods they're eating so they could just start to feel empowered and making more sustainable food choices right now. Because let's be honest, we're a way off any sort of regulation around carbon labelling from the government. It was only last year that calorie labels for restaurants were bought in and we've like known the evidence around public health for years. So I think we're a way off for carbon labelling. But yeah, that's why we wanted to bring it to people in their kitchens when they're going grocery shopping. They can see how they can choose ingredients that are more sustainable. And there are some businesses that are doing absolutely amazing things with carbon labelling. Some businesses are already choosing to have their products carbon labelled by third-party providers who specialise in life cycle assessments. And they're out there in the supermarkets and you can see the carbon labels, but it's really few and far between. It's definitely not the norm. So amazing that they're doing it, but we just need to see it across the board. So it makes it super easy for consumers to make more sustainable choices. That's the carbon labeling side of things. But then I think there's other things like sustainable practices for farms. So a lot of the technology that we've talked about on farms, it comes with a cost. And already farmers are working on such small margins because of different 
well, different pressures from supermarkets trying to keep prices down. Climate change is already affecting the outputs that they can have on the harvests because of changing weather conditions. So they already have their priorities and moving to more sustainable systems isn't like an immediate priority for them. They just need to get through the season. So the government, again, I think has a role in helping farmers transition to more sustainable practices through financial support. Yes, but not just through that. I think there needs to be a little bit more. I'm not an expert, so I don't know exactly what that is, but I think finance is just part of it. And I know that there is some work around that happening, but I'd like to see more of that. I think that was really fascinating and hilarious at the same time, because as I said, I don't think I've ever spoken about things like cow gas as much as I have here on Sustainably Influenced. So, yeah, we like we like talking about these things because uh, it's the honest truth, isn't it? So I don't really think that it's possible for us to overlook how crucial the role that tech is when we're talking about agriculture and making a difference and especially making it more, quote unquote, sustainable and eco-friendly. From things like precision agriculture to alternative energy sources, the robotics that I mentioned earlier and those new crop varieties to even like innovations like Floop. Technology is providing farmers with new tools to improve the efficiency of their operations and reduce their impact on the environment. As this episode draws to a close, I really want to point out that technology is only one part of the solution. Changes in consumer behaviour, government policies, as well as a shift towards more sustainable lifestyle practices will also play a significant role in making agriculture more environmentally friendly. In next week's episode, we'll be talking about quite a controversial subject and asking the question, is recycled plastic really going to solve tech's big waste problem? Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. I'm Bianca Foley. Thank you for listening. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller, research assistant Toyo Douglas and presented by Bianca Foley.